Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Biff Bites Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy, and I am riding solo today. We are in the final stretch before the big March exam, so the rest of the guys are kind of tied up with everything going on. But I wanted to make sure all you wonderful listeners still had some podcast episodes to listen to as you're preparing for the exam. So I want to do a topic that is near and dear to my heart uh, today, and that is the calculator. Now, I know uh, math and calculator topics don't really translate all that well to a podcast format. You really got to look at Uh, The questions really understand it and get the keystrokes in. So this is going to be a very high level uh, approach to the topic today. I'm not going to really get into some nitty gritties. Uh, I am going to throw some questions at you guys and we're going to kind of talk about them from a more theoretical standpoint. So don't worry, you don't need to be breaking out your calculator if you're on your commute to work right now. You know, don't uh, don't crash your car reaching for that HP 12C. Uh, but we are just going to do some uh, kind of basic pitfalls uh, that I have noticed over the years that really trip people up when it comes to the financial calculator give you guys a bit of a heads up so that you can avoid these really common mistakes when it's time for you to take your exam. So without further ado, let's get into it. Now, the first uh, major kind of pitfall that people run into when they're working with the calculator is when to use begin mode and when to use end mode. That seems to be uh, a very difficult concept for people to get, um, almost like it's so simple it's hard uh, sort of idea. But uh, it really helps if you kind of take a step back and think about what begin and end mode is actually telling the calculator to do. Now. What you are in fact telling the calculator is when it should start compounding interest in the calculation. You know, if it's in begin mode, that means interest starts accruing on the first of the month or the first of the year or the first of the quarter, you know, whatever your time frame is, uh, it's taking place at the beginning of that period. Whereas in end mode, it is telling the calculator to compound interest at the end of that period. Seems, you know, pretty self-evident there. The reason why that's important is because of the compounding nature of interest. You know, if you do it at the begin mode, you have a full period of extra interest accruing compared to if you do it in the end mode. So the reason why that's important is if you mix those two up, you're going to get the wrong answer ever so slightly off because of that missed uh, uh, time frame of accrual. You know, if, you, if it's supposed to be in begin mode and you do it in end mode and it's on a monthly time frame, you just missed a whole month of interest accruing. If it's on a year long time frame, you just missed a whole year of interest accruing. And uh, the reason why that's important is the longer the time frame, the more and more that that small difference is going to add up. Because as we all know, uh, the compounding interest, uh, the power of it just grows and grows over time. Uh, now, another thing to remember about begin and end mode is it's talking about, you know, when the interest is accruing on the payments that are taking place. So one thing people don't really realize is, 
if a calculation doesn't have a payment, it doesn't actually matter when you're in begin mode or when you're in end mode, because how much is going to be accrued on zero? Well, zero at the beginning of the payment and zero at the end of the payment is the same number. So it's not going to matter at all. So always look for that. You know, don't, don't feel like you're missing something if you're not doing begin or end mode, if there's no payment involved in the calculation that you're running, if it's just doing a lump sum, it is what it is. There is no telling when that lump sum takes place at the beginning of a period or an end of a period, because it's just a one and done situation. When it happens is when it starts. So first and foremost, always look in the question, is there an actual payment taking place? And if not, you don't need to worry about begin or end mode. But let's say we do have a payment taking place. How are we supposed to know when to be in begin mode and when to be in end mode? Well, for that, the easiest way is to look at the context clues of the question itself. And sometimes it's really easy and obvious. Other times it is not so easy and not so obvious. So first, let's take a look at an example of a really easy one. So I have a question here. Sam has received an inheritance worth $2 million. She wants to withdraw equal periodic payments at the beginning of each month for the next 50 years. She expects to earn 13% compounded monthly. How much will each monthly payment be? Now we're not going to actually do the math there. I just wanted to draw attention to the fact that, you know, I try to put emphasis on it. How much, uh, but she withdraw equal periodic payments at the beginning of each month. You know, it, it makes it very, very obvious in that particular question that we are in begin mode, you know, first and foremost, look at the questions outright and just see if they tell you if it's going to be the begin or if it's going to be the end. Now let's look at another kind of uh, obvious example here. So here's another question I have. So Gary just signed a contract with the professional Frisbee team. He was awarded a $10 million bonus. Gary plans to invest the money and withdraw equal payments at the end of each month to gift to his family for the next six years. And then the question goes on, but it's not really relevant here. I just wanted to, you know, once again, draw attention to he's with making equal payments at the end of each month. You know, it sometimes is just that easy. They just throw it right in your face. The beginning of the month, the end of the month, the beginning of the year, end of the year. Look for what the question says, because ultimately the question is the final authority about what you should do. Nine times out of 10, it's probably just going to be that obvious for you. But, you know, it wouldn't be the CFP exam if there wasn't some more difficult aspects to it. So now let's kind of talk about some of the less obvious examples. So here I have another question here. So a client would like to know the total interest paid on their mortgage in one year. They borrowed $275,000 at a fixed rate of 3% compounded monthly for 30 years. Now that's the entire question. There's nothing else in that question. That is it. So how are we supposed to know if it's going to be in begin mode or end mode if they're not telling us, you know, there's not, uh, there's no indication that they're paying at the beginning or they're paying at the end or anything like that. Well, this one is a little bit unfair if you don't have uh, that, you know, golden industry experience that the CFP board is looking for. When it comes to mortgages or really any amortized loan, uh, you know, car loan, something, anything like that, we are always going to be in end mode. It's just kind of a universal truth of the industry and doing these sorts of amortization type calculations. 
Uh, the unspoken truth is that you will always, always be in end mode when you run these. And the reason why is kind of obvious once you actually think about it and once you have some experience exposure to it. You know, when you take a mortgage out from the bank, you don't immediately turn around and give them your first payment. You know, it's not like they write me a check for $300,000 and then I write them a check for $3,000 and hand, and you know, we trade checks back and forth. It doesn't work that way. You don't make your first mortgage payment until the next month. But in reality, you know, even if I'm making that payment on the third, fourth, you know, 15th of the month, those aren't really at a beginning period because it's being paid in arrears. And what that means is I'm not making, you know, January's payment in January. I'm making January's payment in February. So even if it, the payment is taking place on the 1st of February, that payment is really for January. You know, it's bleeding over into the next month. So that is why it's always going to be in end mode is because it's such an end mode payment that it bled over into the next payment cycle. So uh, don't let that fool you. Anytime you have a mortgage uh, calculation or really any sort of uh, you know, amortized uh, loan uh, situation, you're always going to have your calculator be in end mode. That's something you just need a little bit of industry experience to know. Or if you listen to this podcast, now you know, and you won't fall victim to that on the exam. Now, there are other examples uh, that require either just, you know, not even so much industry experience, but just kind of common sense and thinking about when that payment would actually take place. So here's an example of another question. Patrick plans to travel the world and live off of his inheritance for the next eight years. He expects to earn, you know, blah, blah, blah. The, the, the facts of the matter don't really matter. But what matters here is that he is living off of this money. He is going to use this money for his rent. He's going to use this money to buy his food. So when does he need that money? Well, he has to get that money in the beginning. We have to be in begin mode because Patrick here, he can't go a year without eating. You know, he can't wait until December 31st to take a withdrawal from this account in order to buy groceries because he would have starved to death by that time. You know, you'd think about it just from a common sense type perspective. He needs to take this money out at the beginning of the period because he's using it to pay those bills that are due right now. Uh, another common example that I see of this is, you know, a grandparent wants to make Christmas gifts to their child, their grandchild uh, or their relatives, and they need to take X amount of money out of the account uh, every year at around Christmas time. Well, when does Christmas take place? You know, Christmas is on the 25th of December every single year, last time I checked. The 25th of December takes place at the end of the year. So even if the question doesn't explicitly say that we should be in end mode, use that sort of common sense, that real world knowledge to and think about it and realize, oh, these payments are taking place at the end I should be in end mode. So 
First and foremost, look and see if the question tells you it outright. You know, does it say beginning? Does it say end? Because the question is always right. Uh, even if they're doing, you know, the Christmas uh, gift situation, if they're doing Christmas gifts, but they say they want to take it out at the beginning of the year to have that money ready for whatever reason, you're going to be in begin mode because that's what they told you to do. You know, the question is always right at the end of the day. So first and foremost, look to see is does the question state it explicitly? Then if the question does not state it explicitly, use some of that, you know, industry experience or use some of that real world common sense to make up your mind to decide, hey, should I be in begin mode or should I be in end mode? And if you do that, you'll get these right every single time. All right, the next pitfall, tip, trick, whatever you want to call it that I'm going to cover next is a bit on the obvious side, but it bears repeating because I still see so many students fail to do this every single time. And that is, of course, clear your calculator and utilize scrap paper to write down your answers when you're dealing with multi-step calculations. I know it seems super obvious, but for whatever reason, people just feel like they don't need to do it. Uh, you know, they, they can just keep the numbers in their head or they just forget to clear their calculator. I don't know, you know, what they're thinking, but they, uh, they just don't do it and they end up making mistakes. You know, it's really important we clear our calculators in between each calculation uh, because otherwise the calculator is going to carry over variables from previous calculations and then automatically input them uh, if you don't override it. You know, for example, if I do one calculation and it's involving a payment uh, and then I go and do a second calculation and that second calculation doesn't have a payment, so you would just leave it as zero, and you, you know, a lot of people, they don't manually type in the zero, they just have the calculator fill it in for them. Well, guess what? If you didn't clear your calculator in between those calculations, the calculator is gonna carry over the payment from the previous calculation and enter it in, and now all of a sudden your answer is way off. So make sure you're clearing your calculator in between uh, each calculation. Also, there are tons of different types of calculations in this curriculum that are going to require you to do multiple steps, you know, mortgage calculation, college planning calculation, retirement calculation. There's a whole bunch of two, three, even four step calculator ca calculations that you're going to have to do. And especially if you're doing a case study on the exam, they could have you refer back to any of those previous numbers in a later question. You know, they could have you calculate uh, a college savings, you know, how much do they need a deposit at the beginning of each month for college for question one in a case study. And then two or three questions later, they ask you, oh, by the way, you know, what was the payment that they needed to do uh, for the four years of college tuition. And if you didn't write those numbers down, you know, write down the answer of each step, you're going to have to go back and you're going to have to do that whole calculation over again and waste a whole bunch of time. So anytime I'm doing uh, calculator calculations, I have my scrap paper handy, ready to go. And I write out my variables. I write out my answers. And that way I can keep everything organized, keep everything straight. Uh, and I can refer back to any previous answers that I might need to uh, for, you know, questions down the line. Now, 
What I also would recommend is having a basic calculator with you. Now, when you sit for the exam, you're gonna have that built-in calculator on the computer itself, the little calculator app that every computer comes with. That is gonna be available to you when you take the test. Uh, it's something that you can use and it's something I recommend you use. You can also bring in with you your financial calculator plus a basic, you know, Staples $10 calculator. And I really recommend using those calculators to do your basic addition, subtraction, multiplication and division on. That way you don't risk fat fingering anything on the financial calculator or inputting something the wrong way while you're in the middle of this long, you know, four step uh, calculation and having to restart the entire thing. Cause it's not always easy to go back and, you know, redo something. If you, if you make a mistake, you sometimes have to go all the way back to the beginning and restart the calculation from scratch. So that's why I like to separate them out, do my basic addition, subtraction, multiplication, division on a different calculator. And that way uh, I can get those answers and then just plug them in on my financial calculator uh, without worrying about fat fingering anything. Now, while I do recommend doing that, that does lead us to our next uh, tip with the calculator where sometimes it can cause a little bit of a problem if you do, especially division uh, on a separate calculator. <laughs> Okay, so for example, let's say I'm doing a mortgage calculation on my calculator. And let's say that this mortgage has a 4% annual interest rate. Well, mortgages are paid monthly, so I need to translate that 4% annual interest rate into a monthly interest rate. So to do that, I take that 4% and I divide it by 12 to get the monthly rate. Now I do that on my separate calculator and I end up getting 0.333 repeating infinitely. Now I could take that 0.333 and I now plug it into the interest rate on my calculator. And you know, we always say when in doubt do four decimal places. So I do 0.3333, just the four decimal places. Uh, maybe it was five, but four or five doesn't really matter. The point being is in reality, that 0.333 goes off infinitely. And when I only plug in four or five decimal places into my calculator, I'm cutting off that remainder uh, of those, you know, infinite, uh, you know, one third fractions, uh, and they end up being a rounding error. It's gonna slightly change my answer because it's not taking into account that, uh, you know, those decimal places that I cut off. Now, for small calculations, that's not really that big of a deal. You know, four or five decimal places is pretty accurate in most, most cases. Um, so a lot of times you won't even notice this. You know, maybe you're off by a penny, if that. But when we start talking about really large dollar amounts over really long time frames, for example, a mortgage, you know, let's say it's a, a $1.5 million mortgage over 30 years, you better bet that that rounding error is gonna add up over that really long time frame, and it could end up uh, resulting in a thousands of dollars of difference between what the calculator says and what the correct answer says. 
I have students send this in to me all the time where they're so frustrated because they can't figure out why they're not getting the right answer. They're getting close to the right answer, but they're off by a couple hundred dollars or even a couple thousand dollars. And it's, it's, it, they're not understanding what they're doing wrong because they feel like they're doing all the keystrokes correctly. And the fact of the matter is they are doing all the keystrokes correctly. What they're forgetting to do though is include enough decimal places to make sure that answer is as accurate accurate as possible. So especially when you're dealing with interest rates, when you're converting annual interest rates to monthly interest rates, dividing them by 12 on a separate calculator, fill that bar up, you know, as many spots as the calculator has, that's how many decimal places you should include when you have an infinite percentage like that. 2.33333333, you know, basically do it until the calculator can't take any more numbers. That way, the more decimal places that you include, the closer your answer is going to be to the actual answer. Now, even that isn't perfect because you're still going to have some amount that's cut off. You know, when you do the calculation itself on the financial calculator, it will include infinite decimal places to take that into account. But even when you manually enter it in, you're still cutting off a little, you know, somewhat at the end. But when you're going out to 9, 10, 11, 12 decimal places, you're just zeroing it in that much more. And it's not going to be an issue, even if you're dealing with, you know, million dollar mortgages over 30 years. Now, if you start talking about trillions of dollars over hundreds of years, then yeah, it's going to end up being a problem again. But the good news for all of us is I have never seen any CFP exam level questions that deals with that large of a dollar value over that long of a time frame. So for all of our purposes, you know, going out to the 10, 11, 12 decimal places is, is more than sufficient to zero that answer in. Just make sure you go that extra step. Don't just stop at four decimal places or even five decimal places. Do as many decimal places as the calculator will allow you to do in those situations. And that way you'll still end up with the correct answer. Well, that does it uh, for this episode, guys. Wanted to get this out for you. Uh, before the exam. Uh, stay tuned. We have one more episode before the March exam cycle. Uh, we are doing our famous question palooza where uh, we are going to sit down and talk about different exam questions. We're going to go through them and answer them together and talk about our thought process behind them. And Adam and I decided to make this one extra special. We're double stuffing it. We're going to do double the questions, double the length of the episode so you guys get even more practice with these questions. So stay tuned and we will see you all next time. Mm -hmm.